0: just like metaphorically smack me with a rolled up newspaper if I start going off on a tangent
1: tell me about the uh fan casting thread on Facebook because you sent me the link and I did not follow it because I thought it might make me cross
0: oh no it's just like it happens it's not just Discord Facebook groups it is any nerdy Facebook group the Rivers of London one does it Um, I've gotten off about that before the more general ones do it where people start going ooh, I think this person should play this, and like the odd thread about it, I don't mind. But there was a recent spate of it in one of the Terry Pratchett Facebook groups, of like every day there were eight or nine posts of someone saying, "I think this actor should play this character," mm-hmm. and it I, it makes me irrationally angry. Like I know I can just scroll past it, but it drives me mad because it's like the only topic of discussion, and it's really boring, and, it's a and no one cares. for each one,
1: yeah, and then half of them devolve into weirdly racist or.
0: Yeah, it gets oddly racist or like some people get really weird on the threads and they're like, oh, I think it should be this. And please, please, please don't ruin it. And it's like no one who's making this can see what you're saying. And so, but I like this Pratchett group because Mm -hmm. they're quite good at noticing when things Like this happened and got off topic so one of the admins was like right okay we don't need 20,000 fan casting threads we will do one thread per character per day so like today it's Vines and then you can all on this thread talk about who you think should play Vines Mm -hmm. and tomorrow it's granny weatherworks or whatever and it got devolved into bitching and people being like well I think that we should just have the threads and shouldn't be restricted what we post and if you don't like it scroll past stop complaining and it's like if it's literally the only... content of the group then i can't just scroll past i'm gonna to have to like leave the group and then people are like well if you want discussions on something else start discussions on something else which yes fine but if it gets swallowed up in twenty thousand fucking fangusting threads then
1: i think a lot of it is the problem with the facebook format so when you looked at like old-fashioned forums so GeoCities cities kind of thing hmm. there would be a space for that so there would be I kind of what what were they called even their rooms or sub forums or whatever they yeah were. yeah
0: there would there'd be sections and there'd be like yeah. a fan casting section or a pinned thread, or yeah, I've noticed this because Amanda Palmer recently like relaunched an old school style forum mm-hmm. for um people who like support her on Patreon and like the dress and dolls and like her music uh, to because her fan community was so much on like Facebook and Twitter and she wanted to get away from them
1: I used to love
0: building those
1: I wonder if it, if I get a really Motivated spate of procrastination. I might make a Patrick one, and we can have it for. Latricia, make you for That would be I, really cool. I used cool. to fucking love those. I used. To, I really, I used to adore those forums.
0: And I've never built them, but I used to love being in them, like uh, so many, so many fandom ones. And like, I was on the old AOL message boards a lot, and that devolved yeah. into like being on online forums. I remember uh, the first podcast I ever listened to, back when podcasting was very new. Uh, there was a huge forum for that and it was like a massive fan community and i would spend hours on the um, the crybaby emo kids forum Mm-mm. and the crybaby emo kids podcast In fact, i was On the forum and active and posting there before I ever listened to the podcast because it was like a cool forum to hang out with other emo kids
1: no one can say emo
0: kids took themselves seriously I must say it was no it was a music podcast it was about new like emo music and it was actually really good and I became like quite close to people I spoke to on that and I don't think I'm still in touch with any of them I'm not in touch with a lot of people from my early days of making friends on the internet but yeah Facebook is a really shitty space for discussion which exacerbates these things so it's not I'm not even really that annoyed at the people I am annoyed at the way it becomes like the entirety of a Facebook group yeah but also God finds something to talk about other than fan casting none of us are going to have a say I it don't is like not... the
1: arguments that always happens which is oh if you don't like it scroll on by or whatever because my response to that is always there are a lot of forums with no rules about this stuff there are yeah. a lot of Pratchett for a lot of Facebook groups. You can go on and just post whatever and be part of that. Do you need Do you need to be able to do it in every single one and why? Yeah, like it's and the same goes. And I, oh God, I probably shouldn't even say this, but with the GNU stuff, like the GNU stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. no, I.
0: There are, like, specific groups for them. And I get it. You know, when you're grieving, you do want to share it. Believe me, I get that. I know grief very well. I'm very good at it. Mm, You are. I have a badge. (laughs) No, I don't. And if an entire Facebook group just becomes people posting their grief and people responding to their grief, it's not a terapratchit group. It's a grief group. Yeah. And that's fine. Those spaces do and should exist. And again, the more casual groups are
1: just communities for people who like terry pratchett and i think they seem more, more appropriate there whereas the terry pratchett group is to talk about terry pratchett stuff yeah
0: there is a difference between a facebook group that is for people who like something mm. to hang around with like-minded people uh and yeah a group that is for discussion of a thing mm. and like i said I, I like all of these groups i'm in a bunch of them um, and there's nice people and there are really interesting discussions both about Pratchett and about other stuff yeah but like oh I don't
1: know it's difficult I've been listening to finally I Bernard Pearson's podcast um I listened to the whole of the first one with Rob Wilkins last night oh and cool. I'm a little bit into his second one that he did during quarantine with his wife it's Isabel yeah um and the first one did you you did listen to that didn't you I did, but it feels like a really
0: long time ago now. It was.
1: It was Christmas. It was a Hogswatch special. Mm. But it, oh, it was gorgeous to listen to, and it makes me incredibly jealous. I'm not going to lie, or envious rather, in, that I just never would never. And even even if he hadn't died tragically young, like obviously, I would have never fucking
0: spent time having dinner with him or whatever. Like like yeah, those guys, but but it does I'm make so me so jealous. <laughs> It does make me a bit sad that I never like befriended Terry Pratchett. I know what you mean. Yeah.
1: Um, but hearing about his work process and especially Rob telling the story of when they had to go through unseen academicals and like edit the whole thing after they decided they needed an event that wouldn't fit into the time structure. And so right. they had to go through the entire thing. And like they worked for eight hours straight without even getting up or toilet break or whatever. And Rob gave himself a migraine and it turned out that Terry probably could have gone on for another six hours or whatever, but that at this point, he was quite a long way into a degenerative brain disease, and yet he was standing there behind Rob, scrolling back and forth through this entire manuscript in his head, and and Rob was like, yeah. like I don't use this word lightly, but he was a genius. Yeah. And I, lo- I love, the more I hear about Pratchett, it's almost the opposite of most people I idolise, to be honest. the more I hear about him, the more I feel like he was is a worthy hero to have
0: yeah i most people you sort of heroish to you and then you know more about them or you become closer to them in some way and it yeah. becomes very disillusioning.
1: yeah and, and that's something like that. but it's entirely in mine or your heads and like that's something you need to get oh, over yeah. it's like oh but people aren't perfect like you have
0: me. to very much come to terms with the fact that your yeah. heroes are human beings and inherently flawed but yeah with terry pratchett i'm just more and more and all the more and especially doing the books the way we're doing them and breaking them down and seeing like how much has gone in to make that because before when I've read them it's just like I have read a funny book and enjoyed it yeah
1: yeah and I feel like inherently unworthy to discuss a lot of it like when we find the really clever bits and we're like god are they good I'm like, oh i need a better vocabulary <laughs> and like i read a lot about writing i'm very meta with writing and i still do not know the words to use for how practice well, yeah, does I, this stuff
0: like i'm a proper nerd about comedy and you know studying it so much i take all of the fun and joy out of it and i still can't quite articulate why things are so funny exactly. like yesterday why is the word porridge funny just something is. about just something is. about <laughs> something about the Duke exiting the room and just hyping SALT in my porridge that had me belly laughing and I don't know why. I'm gonna make a copy. Then do you wanna make cool. a podcast? Yes, let's make a podcast. Hello and welcome to the True Shall Make Key Fract, a podcast in which we are usually reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series One at a Time in Chronological Order. I'm Joanna Hagen Young. And I'm Francine Carroll. And this is another special bonus pandemic slash glorious 25th of May edition. Uh, Just a heads up that I will sound like crap today because I potentially have had a deadly plague this week. So uh, totally functioning. Yeah.
1: Which is also why we didn't do any of our social media crap. Um, Yeah. Apologies for the lack of headcanon
0: (laughs) I tried, but my brain was like thinking through treacle. Uh, note on spoilers for this episode, normally we are a spoiler light podcast and try to avoid talking about events of future books at all, because it's the 25th of May, there will be more spoilers than usual, we'll try and group them all mostly into one space and throw a timecode in there for you. We will still avoid any and all discussion of The Shepherd's Crown until we get there though. Yes. So you can come on the journey with us, dear listener.
1: Keep your ears pricked, because my problem is I listen to podcasts that say that, and then kind of zone out while they're warning me and zone back in halfway through a spoiler so
0: cool so before we get into podcasty podcasty, we're doing this because it is the glorious 25th of may which is an important day for some uh, but also we want to do a bonus episode and there is a weird sisters animated series so we're mostly going to be talking about that today
1: yeah i didn't realize until you said you couldn't find the edges of the episodes that it had been an episodic yeah. thing which now yeah, makes more episodes. sense with the flashbacks
0: yeah. It's six episodes but the version on YouTube we so I am I will say I normally work really hard to make sure I pay for like any media I consume like I will buy a DVD or download yeah, it in a, on a streaming service or whatever. I could not find a way to buy the Weird Sisters animated series so we watched it on YouTube.
1: We can probably find like at least one of the contributors and I'm sure someone will have a Patreon. We'll find a way. Yeah. Cuz we'll do out feel a bad. <laughs>
0: I feel bad, but the full version. Uh, so I'll somehow deal with that by not linking to the full version on YouTube in the show notes, but just letting you all know it exists if you want to go ahead and watch it. Yeah, yeah, it's not hard to find. Yeah, um. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the version we watched cut the like episode end and beginning bits, so it was quite hard to figure out where one episode ended and another began.
1: So, uh, but before we we do the weird sister stuff um yeah you, you suggested that we give some recommendations which i like the idea of
0: yes we have been stuck in lockdown for a while and listening to and reading and watching lots of stuff to get us through it so i thought each of us could recommend a few things that are getting us through lockdown do you want to start francine yeah i wasn't
1: sure of the rules um do we mean things that we recommend for people to get through lockdown or things that we have consumed ourselves during
0: lockdown that we also recommend to others uh bit of column a bit of column b okay good because that's what i got (laughs) i wasn't i'm not being super strict on it because i just had the idea like two days ago cool
1: okay so yeah if we do podcasts to start with the one i discovered during lockdown rather than Mm -hmm. caught up with that catalog or anything was where should we begin by esther perel or starring esther perel and she is a relationship therapist the couple therapist And she has had a podcast for a few seasons anyway, where she does one-off conversations with these couples. They haven't been regular clients or anything, um, which are insanely insightful and understanding and calm and beautiful throughout, no matter who the couple is. But during this quarantine period, she's done an especially interesting
0: series of couples in lockdown. Oh, cool. I know who Esther Perella is because... One of the other podcasts I listen to, the hosts are both like both massive therapy nerds, so they reference mm. her quite a lot. Therapy nerds. <laughs> which one's Thank that? Uh, Angel on top, which is the sister podcast Buffering.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well done. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention it. <laughs> um, but the,
1: the, there are two episodes. I'll, I'll just link to the podcast. I think, but there are two episodes I particularly recommend to start with because they're almost polar opposite. And there's one which is a couple in New York and they're both awful people. And it's the only time I've heard Esther Perel like actually kind of have a go at people. And even so she does it in a very calm Belgian way. Um, And then the most recent one I listened to, which is a couple who are in lockdown in, I think Nigeria, um, who are both incredibly nice, empathetic, admirable people in a shitty situation, which has caused their relationship to degrade a bit. Um, And just the contrast between those two and the way that Esther Perel dealt with both of them, and just lessons I feel I learned from both of them were very good, and it fills in some time, which is the point. (laughs) Nice. Yes, that is
0: very much the point. My podcast recommendation is a lot less highbrow. I have been listening to Fake Doctor's Real Friends, which is the Scrubs rewatch podcast that uh, Zach braff and Donald Faison are making. Cool, cool, cool. Oh, that's it's definitely really on my to do list. <laughs> it's so good. It's amazing because like each episode of Scrubs is like twenty minutes and then each episode of the podcast is like an hour long. There's oh, wow. so much to talk about between them. And it's it's really like I, I listen to I really like recap podcasts. That's why we have one um <laughs> oh yeah shit that's that sucks. yeah but listening to one where it's the people who were on the show talking about it is so sweet because they've got so much insight but also this is all so long ago for them They're like yeah I, d- I completely forgot this episode existed I forgot doing that um and they obviously because they worked on the show amazing guests so they've already had like Bill Patterson Peterson who created the whole thing oh really uh, Sarah Chalk who played Elliot Judy Reyes who played Carla um john c mcginley who was uh, dr cox so i have i'm not quite caught up to it so i haven't caught up to the point where sam lloyd passed away which is yeah like, going say, to be really sad have i cried about that on this podcast yet i don't think we have i am very i am gutted sam lloyd because, is ted by the way listeners yeah ted the lawyer from scrubs uh and he was a really good comedy actor and a really good singer yeah like the the acapella group he's in in scrubs was his actual acapella group
1: Really? Oh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, I'm de- where's the best place to watch Scrubs right now, by the way?
0: Uh, for, in the UK, the only streaming thing I found on is 4OD. Okay, that's fine. I like uh, in the US, I'm pretty sure it's streaming on Hulu. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm still catching up on it, but it is really lovely. Like, you can tell they actually have got this lovely friendship. It's nice to hear all the backstories about how the show was actually made and them reminiscing together. And it's and so, just lovely. So it's Zach Braff and... Donald Faison, who played Tuck. Okay, good.
1: Yeah, yeah, good. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: They also they get like uh, guests to jump on the Zoom call and ask them a question every episode. And there was just a... The last one I listened to was a really lovely one where a woman... Uh, her husband was a massive fan of the show, so she did it as a surprise for him. So she was like, oh, can you just come help me with this commuter thing? And then the people were there. And the guy, like, proper freaked out. It was so sweet. But also, I'm really enjoying watching Scrubs again.
1: Scrubs was one of the first... TV comedy series I got really into so yeah I
0: was same for me it was one of the first ones I got really into that I didn't get into because like other people in my house were also watching it Mm -hmm. yeah exactly It was one like I chose to watch Mm -hmm. I think we're both exactly the right age for that I like the idea of listening to the podcast as well Yeah. yeah the podcast is like a nice thing it doesn't have the teenage hysteria but it's nice that they all look back on it so fondly and have such nice reminiscences. I didn't realize like the whole thing was actually filmed in an abandoned hospital, and like really? the writers, yeah, yeah, they had this abandoned hospital they worked in. Like the writers' room was in there as well. They ended up building sets like the bar and stuff into this building as well. Is that the least creepy
1: thing that's ever happened in an abandoned hospital?
0: Yeah, it's really lovely. It's interesting, like from a making TV point of view, they talk about like the color palettes they
1: use and. That is interesting because I was watching Early House the other month whenever I started a rewatch of House and the colour palettes changing over the series was something even I noticed.
0: Yeah, they talk a lot about how like hospital shows are normally very, very clean cut and saturated and they intentionally let this hospital look a bit like dingy and it made it feel a lot more realistic even as the comedy was really heightened and there were things like sound effects and fantasies
1: yeah because they did that one episode which like went into a sitcom fantasy didn't they where they did saturate everything yeah
0: which is such a good episode it's got the guy who oh god i can't can't remember the actor's name but he was in the first season of buffy
1: and then i feel like house went the other way and desaturated everything to kind of mafia drama level so what's their chemistry like off camera are they so much chemistry about yeah oh good yeah
0: Mm. like it's they're recording on zoom because of like quarantine they're making it now um But you can tell like they have a genuine friendship and they've got all these in jokes with each other and like they keep having to go back and tell like oh sorry, when we say that, what we mean is this one time where he did this thing to this guy and it's it's sweet.
1: How much do you think we'd have to pay for Donald Glover and what's his chops to do with Troy and Arbed? Do a recap. I
0: I would pay a lot of money for Donald Glover and and Danny PD to do a podcast (laughs) together it took me a second as well <laughs> although I did I, re- re- I re-watched all of Community either earlier this year or late last year I don't remember it's whenever I had that really bad, bad head cold um because uh, I remember like lying on the sofa really ill like I was too ill to watch Community so I dozed through four hours of Bob's Burgers uh too ill to special? watch
1: Community not too ill to watch Bob's Burgers that's it
0: it was a very I get what you line. mean, but it's
1: quite a s like. There's a scale there specific, that we should work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and community is like I love the show so much, especially the early seasons. And everyone's like, "Oh yeah, season four is bags." It's the gas leak season. it's Like, it. Season four isn't that bad. It's not as good as the first three. The se- season two and three are amazing. Season one is quite cool for setting it up, and the original yeah. paintball episode. And then it never really recovers. Well, Dan Harmon one...
1: left for that season four, wasn't it? That was the... Yeah,
0: and that's why that gets referred to as the Ghastly Season. It was really bad. I don't think it was that bad. I think it had a couple of very good episodes, but it, it doesn't It was such get a
1: change, again. I think, that it felt bad because it was a change from something that had been so good.
0: Yeah, and then there were the like dynamic shifts as well because three of the original group left over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um. It, yeah it just got weird like it was fine but it wasn't as good as i remember and i kind of almost wish it had ended like a tiny bit earlier
1: yes i didn't watch the last season until a long time after i watched the rest because i thought i'd finished it <laughs>
0: yeah you couldn't get the last season
1: yes that's right and it appeared on amazon or something quite recently yeah um, Maybe even 40 but yeah,
0: um, I'd still say it's because it's on UK Netflix now. I'd still say it's worth watching, um, especially the first three seasons. It is a very good, clever, funny show, and it was a huge cultural moment at its time. Weirdly,
1: um, this came up in another podcast I was listening to. I think it was This American Life. Um, and they had a segment on apologies, and Dan Harmon's apology to the woman he was super inappropriate to on the writing team
0: yeah
1: um as an example of like literally the best apology to come out of the me too movement and like her reaction it to it and how much she loved it and like it took quite a lot of prompting to get in there and his really frank speaking about it afterwards and everything and that made me because I, I went through a slight emotional roller coaster because i hadn't even known that had happened and dan harman yeah as we talked about earlier, Dan Hammond, one of my writing heroes, and I was like, oh no, disillusionment, and then coming back out as a flawed, but still, in my eyes, wholly acceptable human being. Okay, cool, right.
0: Yeah, it was... People grow, people change. (laughs) It was a very good apology. Anyway, uh, we've, we've gone on to... So what have you been reading in lockdown? What would you recommend to read?
1: Right. Yeah, so I had two things, and one that I've read... During lockdown, and one that I just recommend for people who want something lovely during lockdown, um, mm. the thing I've read during lockdown was uh, *Chocolat* by Joanne Harris. Finally, got yeah. around to it, and oh, God, it's so good! I don't, I don't want to go on about it too much because I feel like it's something you should just read, go into, and read without knowing much about it. Because I did, um, but it is, it is full of very, very well-defined characters in a pretty short book and it's the most interesting case of slow but incredibly tense narrative I want to know like how many edits she went through and everything to get it that perfect because the the lead up to the climax was incredibly stressful to read like anxiety inducing and yet at the same time beautiful and calm and moments of utterly gorgeous prose and yeah just I, I really it's, recommend it's reading it. It's masterful. That. It is incredibly good writing, and it made me want chocolate a lot. Um, <laughs> and the other thing I'd just recommend—I read this for the first time a very long time ago—is um, *My Family and Other Animals* by Gerald Durrell. and yeah, of course. Um, or, if possible, even the Corfu trilogy. But Gerald Durrell is the was the founder of Jersey Zoo which is like one of my favorite places in the world because I grew in up there. in New Jersey. Yeah, yes you have. Um, and Gerald Darrell it. is one of my heroes and I love him very much, but he wrote some books about his time in Corfu when he was a child with this extremely eccentric family. And it is a mix of really funny anecdotes from that time and really interesting insights into ecology and zoology and stuff like that. Um, and a kind of beautiful sense of nostalgia throughout some of it is very purple prose but again like shantaram it fits and mm-hmm. so there's that um the villa was small and square standing in its tiny garden with an air of pink-faced determination its shutters had been faded by the sun to a delicate creamy green cracked and bubbled in places the garden surrounded by tall fuchsia hedges had the flower beds worked in complicated geometrical patterns marked with smooth white stones roses dropped pearls that seemed as big and smooth as saucers flame red moon white glossy and unwrinkled marigolds like broods of shaggy stuns stood watching their parents progress through the sky and like there's several more paragraphs just talking about flowers like this and this Amazing. from like, a 10-year-old boy who was there at the time and like rasol really and and then yeah just, hilarious anecdotes so what's your recommendation
0: so i just finished reading this the house of shattered wings by aliette de bodard which uh i got in a like christmas book exchange in the buffering facebook group Hmm. uh from abby hi because i think she listens to this hi abby um she sent me a couple of books but i've only just got around to them because of the giant to read pile and it's uh It's such a cool concept. It's kind of Paris that's been destroyed by these mage wars, and there are fallen angels, and whatever happened to Morningstar, and there's a murder, there's mysterious murders, and colonialism, and (laughs) like it's an incredibly well realized world. It's it's beautifully written. It's a really well realized world, but it's also because I've been reading it while I've been ill. One where I finished it and went, I know that was very good, and I also know I need to go back and reread it. When my brain works better and take more of it in, yeah, but I really enjoyed that um, and then i'm rereading Trudy canavan's millennium's rule trilogy well it's not a trilogy it's four books uh, the fourth because the fourth book just came out, so I reread the other three in preparation, and now I have the fourth book sat waiting for me, which i'm really excited about. she's one of my favorite fantasy authors um, and i don't she doesn't get a lot of credit because her books are quite simple's not the right word but they're not quite as highbrow and intense as say maybe like the robin hobb ones sure her first trilogy is sort of borderline young adult and gets like sold in both sections in waterstones if that makes sense
1: is that the the magic school one yeah yeah see i, I remember really enjoying that but i don't remember it very much because i've read it so long ago so i do need to reread that
0: it was really good but quite simple but then she really built on the world and did like a prequel set 500 years before which gives a lot of context and then she did like a whole sequel trilogy set like 50 years after.
1: I think there's a lot to be said for accessible fantasy books like I don't know why the trend is so very impenetrable.
0: Yeah and then this series Millennium's Rule you can like see how much she's grown as a writer and especially a world builder so she's managed to write this amazing story uh there's like two kind of main characters it focuses on it goes back and forth between in sections um but there's like multiple worlds and there's thousands and thousands of them and there's a certain level of sorcery that means you can travel from world to world so these people both start off really isolated with absolutely no idea of this and then uh the story massively spreads out to encompass like worlds and thousand-year-old sorcerers and things sure Um, and it's just really really cleverly done because it's sort of she's gone like right i've created a universe where this can happen and then i've created a magic system that works like this and then i've looked really deeply at the ramifications and how like warring factions have to strategize considering that's the case
1: oh that sounds fun
0: it's really fun i really enjoy i've really enjoyed rereading them i'm really excited to read the last one anything you've been watching that you recommend francine the
1: final season of Shit's Creek is my recommendation, oh, it's so uh, which has been out on Netflix because I just love Shit's Creek so much. It's such a good show. The characters are so unrelatable, but relatable at the same time, and yeah, the fashion is gorgeous, and it's just so fucking funny. Oh the god, the costumes and the writing—that is all perfect
0: it's so good it's such a good show katherine o'hara is incredible
1: my only only complaint about the show is the what's his fucking name the mayor uh roland roland thank you i keep wanting to say roland my only complaint is he has done too well and that's a certain type of character like in friday night dinner the neighbor um jim. and jim thank you and in this where the the character designed to be cringy works too well on me and i find it very hard to watch although in the last season they kind of mitigated that to the point where i could happily watch him
0: yeah that was i thought, thought that was really interesting cuz i i had a bit of a rant to you the other day i was saying like the problem uh, you sent me an interesting video on Homer Simpson's character development mm-hmm. in The Simpsons. I was saying this is the problem if a show gets dragged out for too long the characters often become parodies of themselves and Roland especially could have easily become such a parody of yeah. the original character and they yeah. didn't. They managed to keep it very soft at the edges. They almost reined it in as
1: they went yeah. along which is incredible. And the same with all of them actually. All of them could have gone that way. Moira was Moira was ridiculously over the top from the beginning but she didn't get more so really.
0: Um, no they managed to perfectly keep that balance yeah. like it's such good writing from yeah, down so, yeah david and
1: um alexa are the same like they didn't become bland plot pushers no. but they didn't like devolve into accentuated versions and stuff so what's your tv thing recommend me some tv
0: so loving all the stuff national theater live are putting like recorded broad broadcasts of some of their plays on youtube and so are the globe um national theater live this week i haven't watched it yet but it's streetcar named desire with Julian anderson and vanessa kirby so i'm very 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 ready to watch this and i'm hyped okay. uh, and next week it's going to yeah next week it's going to be Coriol, either next week or the week after actually it's coriolanus with tom hiddleston which i saw in cinema twice and it's incredible it's so good cool. um the Globe stuff has been really good. I really enjoyed Two Noble Kinsmen and they've got a version of Macbeth coming up, but I wanted to highlight that one because the Globe have just pointed out that they have literally no government funding and pretty much no income right now. And they are dangerously close to closing permanently if they can't get some income. If you want to watch the YouTube things, and there are like donation options, if you wanted to donate half what you pay for a grounding ticket, which is £2.50, they are great about championing new writing. They stage mm. new stuff a lot. They put on Amelia, uh, Morgan Lloyd's. Malcolm's play about Amelia Bassano, who was like the woman that probably was Shakespeare's Dark Lady and inspired a bunch of his stuff, and is mm-hmm. was also the first ever female published poet. Huh. Oh, amazing, badass. Uh, in fact, Amelia, who, sorry? Amelia Bassano. She's fascinating. The play Amelia was completely incredible. Uh, I saw it at the Globe. You saw that at the Globe, didn't you? I remember you telling me that. Yeah, yeah, it was ridiculously good. There's this amazing "Burn the fucking house down" feminist rant speech at the end that Claire Perkins, who played the character, um, has just put out a, like a video of her doing it. So I'll link to that in the show notes because it's ridiculously good.
1: I don't know, J. Feminist rants don't really seem like us.
0: No, I know. Uh, it's something <laughs> new. It's something new. I'm trying. Okay. Um, Also, I'm really loving. I kind of like the
1: patriarchy. (laughs)
0: Fuck the fucking patriarchy. Yeah. Speaking of the patriarchy, I've been really enjoying watching all the panel shows and stuff that are now being recorded on Zoom. Especially like, have I got news for you? In the Mash Report, both like the way they've remote recorded them has been great. I actually didn't watch last week's Have I Got News for You. I think I was
1: having a small. uh, This was like during my build up to my small breakdown. I think I just like I don't want to know what's happening in the world. I don't care. No. Uh, So I'm going to catch up on that tonight. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah that's fun oh and also um, i'm massively late to this bandwagon but i've got very into avatar the last airbender which my partner and i were kind of watching together and then had stopped and now everyone's talking about it because it's just come back onto american netflix so we're we're on the final season now and i kind of wrote it off as a silly kid show that i didn't mind being on it's in the anime. background it's not quite anime but it is a cartoon okay
1: so that is, it has nothing to do with avatar the film
0: nothing to do with Avatar. Okay, okay although there is like a crappy live action film adaptation of the tv series that we don't talk about because whitewashing considering
1: i know um, nothing clearly about avatar last airbender what is it
0: it's it's a kid's cartoon but like i wrote it off as just that it's not it's really well written and like fucking dark and deep in places it's about like there are these different tribes of people who can manipulate different elements Elements. There's like fire and so there's like a fire nation an earth nation and there are water tribes in there, and there's like air Nomads and those are the four things um, And there's the idea is that like every generation there is this avatar who can work with all four elements and their job is to maintain balance but um, one the avatar got like frozen in knives and there wasn't one for a hundred years and the fire nation attacked and went all colonial and took out all the air nomads and then tried to take over the rest of everything And so the show centers around this avatar that's been like frozen in ice for a hundred years and him trying to he's like the last of the air nomads because the rest of them got wiped out by the fire nation. And he's trying to travel around and learn all the different elemental things and stop the fire nation and fuck them up. And there's like a chemical
1: level. Fire nation wiping out air nomads seems like a bad idea because they very much need air.
0: Yeah. I mean, they don't actually stop the elements from existing. they just get rid of the people who live in those tribes or whatever
1: and just saying collaboration seems like it could be mutually beneficial in that
0: case yeah well the fire nation are colonialist dickheads yeah (laughs) Uh, and there's like a whole story with this one guy and he gets he like starts as a bad guy but gets this whole redemption arc is this a spoiler i mean yes and no The show came out a very long time ago so okay cool i'm just like i don't care just in case i needed to cut it out there is a character no there's a character that gets a redemption arc and it's very cool it's just it's a surprisingly good show and i didn't realize i I didn't give it that credit when i sort of had it on in the background so i'm really really sad i didn't watch it as a kid that sounds like the kind of thing i
1: would have yeah i'm
0: sad i didn't get into it as a kid i'm gonna
1: Um, i'll still watch it
0: now yeah we're on like the last two episodes so once I've watched them I'm gonna go back to the beginning and watch again like and pay attention now I know it's good it's also very funny and very sweet I think kids
1: shows and young adult books and stuff get a lot of stick but when they are well done and do include difficult topics and dark bits they are amongst some of the best content because it's you know it's made for children who don't already have this little list of things they will and won't watch and yeah will and won't read and yeah i don't know stuff I've, definitely there's a lot of stuff i would have not read and would be worse off for it if i had a thing against young adult literature for instance
0: yeah i will still read like new young adult stuff now and i will go back and like, reread it's, it's a genre that's full of shit let's
1: be honest but but there's also there's a good so stuff. Is every other genre. <laughs> young adult's
0: not really a genre even it's like a
1: no it's not but it seems it's to be a category everyone thinks of the same book when they think of like bad young adult don't they it's fang banger everyone thinks
0: yeah which like again some fang bangers young adults aren't. which actually like no i'm gonna stand up for teenage me's tastes briefly because i was genuinely excited by the news last week or the week before that stephanie meyer is finally releasing the version of the first twilight book from edward's perspective Because I was really into the Twilight books when I was a teenager because I was the right age for for them. And I rewatched the films recently. They're honestly not that bad. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not holding these up as a pinnacle of good writing or good filmmaking. They're still very white. They're still a weird metaphor for no sex before marriage. But they're actually not bad. They're pretty good. They're enjoyable films. They're enjoyable books. And I think they got shat on a lot because they were liked so much by teenage girls
1: I've never read or watched any of it, so I literally cannot comment on their quality. Yeah, that's fine. The only thing I say is I've never really liked the idea, and it's in a lot of books, it's not just Stephanie Meyer, of like hundred-odd-year-old vampires going after naive teenage girls as like a romance oh, yeah, no. thing. Like, that's so problematic a theme- to me. <laughs> See also Buffy and Angel. Just because you look like uh, a teenager doesn't mean there's not a huge power imbalance even before you add the immortality in. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you there. I just feel like she should have been allowed to grow as a person before going into that whole weird world, weird world. but I guess that wouldn't make such an interesting narrative
0: yeah no I know <laughs> I'm very with you there in theory but like in practice, I, I know I know season. that's not
1: what makes interesting
0: <laughs> my point is my point is that I think the book a lot of this stuff is unfairly shat on because it's popular with teenage girls and if things are liked by teenage girls they're not taken seriously ignoring my Twilight rant should we talk about why we it was important we did put a bonus episode out on the 25th of May so this has become like an important date for Terry Pratchett fans. I want to point out it's also a big date for Hitchhikers fans. It is towel day. Is it?
1: Is that a yeah. shared date we have? Okay, we
0: have a shared date with uh, with Hitchhikers. Uh, so make sure you've got a towel. I will wash mine in celebration. Beautiful. Oh, I need to put my towels in. Um. Anyway. <laughs> But it's uh, it's an important date from the book Nightwatch, which uh, so this is the here be spoilers section.
1: Yes, this is spoilers. Stop listening at this point if you haven't read Nightwatch.
0: Here be dragons. Here be spoilers. Uh, so yes, the twenty fifth of May is the very important date in Nightwatch. It is the anniversary of the glorious revolution of Treacle Mine Road, the People's Republic of Treacle Mine Road. It's a you know. A, I had a little bit of rant earlier about not liking some bits of online fandom culture. But the twenty fifth is a very nice thing for online fandom culture. People share pictures of lilac they've seen around and it's nice because it's also hitting a certain point in the year where lilac is blooming.
1: Yeah, there's um there's kind of an echo from the book to real life. So in the book, people who have to ask about why they're wearing the lilac shouldn't be wearing it. Like yeah. you weren't, you weren't there. You don't know. It's fine. It's you know, no offense, but it's not something you're a part of, which is yeah. almost how it is in the practice community. Although I feel like a lot of us use it as an excuse if people ask, like, oh, you don't... Well, h- here's a book you might
0: enjoy. It's a gateway. <laughs> it's another way in which we convert people, not that this is a cult. No, not a cult at all. Definitely <laughs> not a <Kool-Aid>, cult. Joanna? <laughs> uh, when's the next ritual sacrifice, by the way? Because it's getting really um, hard in lockdown.
1: Yeah, I know. It's just not... It's not hygienic to be ritually sacrificing at the moment.
0: Okay, I might like have a little cheeky summon of Belshazzar later though. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do some like metaphorical ritual sacrifice. By... It's sort of a nice we're all in it together because we were there and we wear the lilac and uh, in my case I'll also get out the egg that says truth and freedom and the tea towel that says truth and freedom and yeah, one day the tattoo that will say that that I will get when I can afford a new
1: tattoo. It's interesting because well i think there's a couple of reasons why the 25th became so important first is that it is a date that is mentioned in the book as a remembrance day which is you know the only one of them
0: and it's very rare like dates that will coincide with a round world date are even mentioned in the books yeah that's it they didn't call it groon or whatever
1: yeah. <laughs> and also because nightwatch is a lot of people's favorite book for some very good th- reasons
0: it's, it is one of the best ones, and I think it's because it's one where he really, really strikes that amazing balance of comedy and very deep and emotional and serious and really looking at people and what they do and don't do and political injustice.
1: Yeah, and he harnesses Vimes, which is a lot of people's favourite character. He harnesses his anger in a very... Like like we like he was describing Granny Weatherworks' his anger
0: with the dam and the valve. Yeah, the way Vimes uses his anger there, and and the the really key thing about Vimes's character, which is that he will choose what he feels is best for the many over himself, and like in Nightwatch, to the point where he pretty much looks at. I'm not going to make it back to my own time and back to my wife who in my timeline is giving birth to my kid because I want to try and make things better for people here in the past instead.
1: Yeah. And it's almost not even, it's almost not even a choice he can make. It's almost like rinse, rinse wind for his conscience. The conscience tells him what he's going to do. It's like,
0: yeah, it's not really a choice. Is, like, it's this going is tragic but way. this is
1: the way it's going to happen, but I am not my, my personality does not allow me to selfishly leave these people to die. Yeah. And I, I, for me, it's it's been a big thinker every time I reread it because of its its questioning of the let's be honest, the young people and the liberal kind of attitude about come the revolution, which we love to joke about, yeah. and and the patronizing way that a lot of us can talk about the people or and the, the kind of honestly the it's good for me to have a reminder of the futility of it all sometimes in the nicest way possible.
0: (laughs) It is. We've both, between the first time either of us would have read that book and now we've both changed a lot in how we are politically. I think we've both gone from very intensely come the revolution and this is what the people want to understanding Mm. that there's a lot more cult of the individual and maybe becoming somewhat disillusioned with it.
1: I kind of swung yeah since i first read it i was very politically unaware and uninterested when i first read it and then i swung one way and then the other and you know let's fuck. It, i'm nearly 29 but that's not gonna in 10 years i'll be completely different again
0: yeah I, I feel like, that like the book has been valuable every time i've read it
1: in every stage of this
0: <laughs> it's always been a really good book for giving some perspective yeah and like at a time where I'm a bit disengaged it's nice to remember what hope sometimes feels like and at times where I'm very active it's good to humble myself with the fact that really revolutions won't change all that much. They're called revolutions they always come around again. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Uh, And also it's just aside from the kind of messages and it's an eminently quotable book but it's just got a lot of character building in that we see young and we see young vines and we get to see the origins of these characters and i fucking love an origin story me
0: oh i love an origin <laughs> story and a flashback we get knobs's origin story
1: yeah which is just a sweet like his almost comic relief but at the same time you see how unfortunate he was and you
0: understand a lot more of what he becomes now
1: yeah and yeah and there are some scenes in it that you sit and read kind of mouth open as the horror descends over you. And there are some scenes which are just hilarious.
0: And I think it also has a really good, while we're in the spoiler section, the moments towards the end of the book where people are falling in this revolution uh, parallels really well to Jingo where yeah. the yeah. Vimes disorganizer has gone down the wrong leg at the time the time so as he's ended up in Clatch his disorganiser is in a very different timeline where everyone fucking dies in mm-hmm. a riot in Ankh-Morporg
1: yeah and that's, yeah, that's the same, those are the two scenes I think of where I just read them with my mouth open and like oh my god
0: oh my god, every time I think that's some of the most heartbreaking, like in a good way writing mm-hmm. that Terry Pratchett's ever done yeah, definitely and it makes the book so good, it makes it one that we care about and one that we like to reminisce about because it deals with with loss in such a way. So yeah, I, I, th- I feel like that's all the 25th chat we can do for now. But we also have some recap content. So this is uh, Weird Sisters, the animated series, which came out in 1997. It was made by Cosgrove Hall Productions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weirdly difficult to actually get a hold of, so we watched it on YouTube, but out of deference to Officially being anti piracy, we're not going to link to that in the show notes.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll have another quick go to see if I can find anywhere proper to do it and somewhere we can give someone money because we are, we try our best not to pirate things being, you know, people who get paid for our Making creative things. work. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah we like to pay for the media we consume because they also did soul music the same year, which is also really hard to get hold of. We tried to buy it on DVD and we ended up with a German version. So cool, cool. Any German speakers want to? A- dvd of the enemy song soul music <laughs> give me a shout
1: <laughs> my devonian husband confirms that the witches sound like they're from devon
0: yeah so the fool is scouse because it's les dennis right who is scouse yes uh he also voiced young tom john not adult tom john before uh, we so- go
1: too deep into the casting actually sorry i know that was my fault but what did you think overall
0: um i, I genuinely thought it was really good like, it's not a perfect adaptation because there's no such thing, mm. apart from maybe Good Omens.
1: Yeah.
0: Maybe. Even Close I'll to perfect
1: it. as you're going to get, I think.
0: Yeah. But it was fun. I, I, I like animation, but I also very rarely sit and watch a cartoon of something, and I think I, I've got lots of thoughts about animation and things missing a trick by not being animated. I liked it a lot more than Color of Magic and like, Fantastic. Yes
1: yes that is my initial proclamation is way better than that ship
0: um i mean there's less than 10 years in it making wise uh color magic was 2005 this is 97 yeah
1: i think maybe animating this kind of thing was seen as old-fashioned by then but i agree i think mr trick is the right way of putting it because animating Especially with the budget they put into Colour of Magic, they could have had a gorgeous animated...
0: I've, yeah, I feel like 2D animation has really fallen out of fashion, especially in the last 15, 20 years. And I, I have a huge soft, soft spot for it, mm-hmm. Like obviously, because I grew up on Disney cartoons, yeah. and before that, like, vintage Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry, which yeah. I'm still a huge fan of, and we'll go back and watch old bits of on YouTube. Um,
1: I really love some kinds of anime and i've been told that there's quite a lot of anime i should watch because the animation is so beautiful even i'm not that oh, into yeah. anime because i i think i was unlucky with some of the stuff i saw which was just weird little
0: girl sexualization when it wasn't meant oh, to be yeah. and like but <laughs> yeah. no that'll put you off but there yeah. is lots of good i i grew up being really into anime yeah uh we less so now but still big fan of some stuff and still like big fan of all the studio ghibli what's it? yes that's what i've been told to watch yeah oh you should watch house moving castle have you read house moving Castle*? i have, have and i loved it very much yeah
1: um uh, shall i not look at it as an adaptation i feel i i think i've heard that it's watch. very very different
0: it is different but it is a really really gorgeous film to just sit and watch okay it is beautiful the voice acting is all really fun uh, I need to reread the book. I haven't read it in forever, but it is one of my favourite animated films. Okay. I'll,
1: I'll start with that one then. That sounds good. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think I've said on this podcast before that I think really the only, or well, certainly the best way to do fantasy is by animation, because the point of it is that you can't have it in real life. Yeah. And the stylization that you can do with animation, I feel, is...
0: Yeah, everyone focuses on hyper-realistic, and especially, like, um, since Pixar came onto the scene. And, like, no, I really like stylized, flat 2D stuff. Absolutely. And, And not just kids stuff, but, you know, like, anime isn't just kids thing by any stretch of the imagination. And I think Western animation has sometimes struggled to catch up. Like, this isn't aimed at kids. This is as grown up as the story in the book is, which is kids can watch it but yeah i think we've
1: seen a slight uptick in cartoons for adults and i would like to see that taken further so in the same way that video games used to be very much for kids and now are almost more for adults in the like the best-selling game markets apart from nintendo um i'd say like so things like bob's burgers is a cartoon and that's
0: not exactly family friendly
1: all the way through yeah um and
0: but yeah. It's as family friendly as say modern family yeah. or yeah. but yeah. it's but you can do more and it can be more ridiculous because it's a sitcom. Uh like Bojack Horseman is the super extreme of Yeah. Which is exciting Tuka and Bercy, which is another show by Raphael. Oh Bob I can get into that. Yeah. I really, really loved it, although the f- yeah, the first couple of episodes are a bit it's uh, too
1: fast moving for me. I think I watched it on a bad day. I'll try again yeah. when I'm not knackered
0: i loved it and i was really gutted to watch all of it and then find out netflix cancelled it after one season and mm-hmm. adult swim yesterday announced that they picked it up and there's going to be another season oh good i'm so happy it's a it's a really good show it's i like the people who worked on it so i'm happy for them even if i don't
1: like it personally
0: <laughs> yeah i think it's very well written they're very well written women but yeah the animation aimed at adults has become much more of a thing especially in recent stuff and Feature-length animation,
1: yeah, that's the next thing I'm hoping for.
0: Yeah, and uh, especially adaptations, stuff like this. And I like live-action adaptations. You know, I didn't dislike *Color Magic* as much as you did, and uh-huh. the other live-action ad- live adaptations that you haven't seen yet, we'll talk about when we get to them.
1: Yeah, I've heard. I'm feeling more optimistic about some of them because I've heard more about them. So um, *Hogfather*, I'm quite looking forward to. You.
0: *Hogfather* is really
1: fun. Um, and Michelle going Doffery. postal. You were the one who told me going postal is really
0: good. See, so. yeah, going postal is really good, but it's not like it's not a straight adaptation. It, they change stuff, but yeah. it's done very well, and it's got uh, Tamsin Greg as Sakura of Cripslock, which and I is... do love her very much. So... Oh God, I love Tamsin Greg. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, but overall, yeah, enjoyed it. Uh, little nostalgia for kind of low budget late nineties two D animation. Mm yeah uh,
1: like yeah that that Lord of the Rings thing just sticks out in my memory as being something I hugely enjoyed and I'm very disappointed it never got finished
0: it never got finished yeah what was the other thing it reminded me of uh, sim- around the same time although it had a better budget and I'd say a slightly better quality uh, ship Down that remind yeah all the,
1: the bits with the I've written that down even the bits with the animals um, was yeah. very warship Down to me it was interesting how much they jumped from style to style
0: there's definitely a few crossover mixes, especially, like, I think location and character, they play mm. with style a lot.
1: Yeah, the, especially the, the, like, Granny's dreams about the nature, bit, like, the strange embossed style that you saw for the animals was also in the demon, and um, anything kind of dreamy was that w- very, very different style.
0: Yeah, I there were some beautiful painted backgrounds, and then fun, like, the animation they used for the time jump I really liked. Uh, anything kind of magical they did some very fun stuff with yeah I really
1: liked all of the backdrops and the geography and I think Lanka the 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 setting what I called it the setting yeah in this context I thought that was all very well done the set was yeah <laughs> was very lovely and how I imagined it basically
0: yeah it, I think the, the castle the, I thought looked really cool the castle looked cool the colors worked mm. it had the right color color palette because it yeah. could have been done a bit brighter and more technicolor.
1: yeah but that it doesn't really made it work for feel... Misty Hills
0: <laughs> yeah that would have made it feel more silly and more aimed at kids so I'm yeah. glad that it wasn't well, Should we talk about characters and, and casting and things first then? yes cool
1: oh I'm so... sorry I've skipped right ahead you've written a lovely r- lovely episode plan and I've just skipped ahead three paragraphs I'm sorry
0: it's fine we'll jump back and forward and back and <laughs> forward and it'll be You're the other one who's going to edit I think yeah, to be honest,
1: sorry, listeners, I'm not editing this much.
0: That's fine, it's bonus. <laughs> bonus content. I'm, look, we're still recording bonus content, despite the fact I have literally got the plague.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So it was hard looking up some of this and characters and who's played what. But uh, Granny was Annette Crosby,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who has done lots of things. Um, I did not like copy out the whole IMDb page because life is short. <laughs> uh, but I like I really like how they drew Granny. I think they had the perfect severity in the nose and the contrast between her and Nanny was really good.
1: I liked that, yeah. Um I think I think this is like a a time thing probably, like the era. I think I would have liked her to be more detailed slightly, just because Granny in my head is such a character that seeing her in very simple 2D was a bit
0: jarring yeah i i i like the level of detail that was there for all the characters like i like really simple line work
1: okay yeah, yeah no it's very, so su- very it
0: subjective but yeah
1: yeah what did you think, think of they, the voice acting for her
0: i uh, hmm. it was my least favorite of the three witches i think it could have been more stern and severe
1: i think that's it i once i got used to the fact they all had very strong devonshire accents um I would have liked all three of them to have lower voices and I think that's possibly just my personal preference of what I can stand to listen to for a long time. Yeah. But especially Granny, I always imagined having a very deep voice.
0: Yeah, Granny I always imagined as very deep and, you know, she's a woman of few words. And I think everything was just a bit too light and too quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it which was less jarring here than it would have been like the granny we get to know in later books
1: yes that's true like this voice still, still
0: kind of worked with weird sisters granny and it would have worked with an equal rights granny it wouldn't work with like a lords and ladies granny
1: yeah it's possibly because we are giving this character
0: all the weight we know she has later yeah and like she, uh, she obviously has this weight by the time the animated series is made because it's like not 10 years after the book came out but you know it's a good few yeah. years um, Magrat and Nanny, they, so Magrat was Jane Horrocks Bubbles, um, as you told me Bubbles from ABFAB yeah. Nanny, Nanny was June Whitfield, who is uh, Eddie's mum in ABFAB
1: See, with Magrat, I didn't mind the fact she has a high voice like that's her speaking voice by the sounds of it um, but I didn't like all the, the weird giggles and noises she made along with it Like, Yeah it, They seemed to try and make
0: her into a little girl they did make her a bit silly and girly. I, re- I liked her character design. Yeah. I also like the fact that you see her changing outfit a couple of times because quite often in an animated thing, like to save on budget and during time, someone will be, like every other character was in the same outfit for the entire thing. Yeah.
1: Which uh, makes but, sense
0: for Granny and Nanny, but. <laughs> yeah. But I like the fact that Magrat, they do show her in like a few different dresses and with different occult jewellery and the eyeshadow changes colour.
1: I love the one she was wearing in the
0: field. Yes. I liked that one yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah no weirdly giggly
1: yeah the just the the silly noises
0: I didn't which I, I think I is it was it was cartoony and like this is a yeah. cartoon they definitely yeah. made a cartoony I thought nanny was perfect especially the uh, even when you in a scene where she doesn't drink from the hip flask you still see that she's got keeping the hip flask in her boobs Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> which was just a really nice little detail
1: Yeah, I imagine this is literally just for ease of expression and things, but she was not as wrinkly old apple as I imagine. But I think that would be quite hard to draw in that style and not...
0: Yeah, if you're going to just use, like, a bunch of really clear lines, then you can't go into, like, details of wrinkle and stuff. I think there was enough there that you get the impression, like, the cheeks were there. Yeah. Felmer, I really like the extra lines on his face. Yes. Yes, they made him like structured. Yeah, like so, his face was almost entirely made up of like really harsh rectangles. It was really, really good, but I wonder what the discussion was that led to that. I think it's something to do with like making his face look more chaotic. The guy who voiced him, I did look up because it sounded weirdly familiar. Yeah, Uh, I couldn't see much else he's done. Like he mostly does animation, so he was in Watership Down. He uh, voiced all of the. Vehicles in Bob the original Bob the Builder, and he was the mayor of Townsville in the Powerpuff Girls, which made me laugh. Yeah, they... I, used to re- I used to love the Powerpuff Girls so much.
1: I never really watched it, so he sounded very familiar to me, but uh, I've not really heard him in anything. So he's just got a very good villain voice, I think.
0: Yeah, the Duchess Eleanor Bron, who among other things has also been in an episode of Ab Fab, she played Patsy's mum.
1: Oh. Okay, well, I liked her a lot anyway. I thought that was really good.
0: I I started off really disliking how they would made her look because they'd put her in really masculine clothing, and that always feels a bit punchliney, like her, she's not feminine enough to be a real woman. Uh, but the more I thought about it, a she had a bit of Mrs. Trunchbull, like a redheaded mm. Mrs. Trunchbull, which I like. Yeah, um, it's not Mrs. Trunchbull, Miss Trunchbull.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, but also like the more I looked at it, the more I looked at it looked like hunting or riding gear. Like, yeah, she was wearing jumpers. Yeah and actually that really works because that character would wear jodpers and be a horsey person i can see her quite regularly whipping the servants
1: yeah i've never really see, seen that trope that you mean where you put them in
0: masculine clothing for not being feminine well it, it's sort of the um villainous woman gets less of the femininity or femi- femininity is like trunchbull's a good example where like the good woman is very feminine and soft and sweet in Miss yeah. Honey and then the bad woman is very masculine I
1: think
0: and it always feels like you're building to an unfair punchline about transness in there somewhere it's probably just me being very sensitive about gender which I don't know why that would be
1: oh no I was just gonna say like if anything I notice usually that villainous women are almost like over feminized because feminine attributes are kind of reviled in a subconscious way
0: yeah, I, th- I think sometimes, it's sometimes one, it's sometimes the other. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I went from disliking it for a minute in this to actually really liking it and it working for the character. The Fool. Les Dennis. Fine. Not that he's not big now, but like I imagine this was sort of the height of people knowing who Les Dennis was, whereas now it's like, oh yeah, that's like that dude from the 90s. Yeah, um, I mean, he was fine.
1: It was, I didn't <laughs> it was I a didn't... bit weird
0: to have scouseness, but all right. Yeah. I did like uh, the Fool's outfit because I always pictured him as lots of pointy horns with bells on, and the fact that it sort of drooped the entire time was quite entertaining. Yeah. And the fact that they did animate him so that he capered as he moved until he stopped capering. I thought he was a well done character. Um,
1: I think maybe I just don't like Claire voice that much. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's probably it. Um, <laughs> do you know he married Amanda Holden? I just tried to look up his face in the 90s. Uh,
0: no, I did not know that. I'm
1: about fucking punching above your weight?
0: Yeah, right. Uh, so Tom- Les Dennis also voiced young Tom John. Sure. That yeah. high-pitched squeaky bit. And then Andy Hockley voiced adult Tom John. Andy Hockley, who also voiced Imp E. Selen in the version of Soul Music that they did the same year they did this. What did you think of Tom John? It I have this as a point later on actually, but I'll talk about it here. Mm-hmm. Um, the magic of Tom John being able to kind of deliver these magic speeches that will calm a fighting pub is something that doesn't translate to screen, even as an animated thing.
1: No, I feel like what they tried to do was ham it up. So like I'm showing he's a good actor by showing the stereotypical good acting voice, which actually is not the good acting voice and getting just a good voice actor to do it well would have been better.
0: Yeah, I don't think Andy Hockley's a bad voice actor, but I think... No, but I think he hammed it up for it. Yeah, the direction of doing it is like a very RP actor Yeah, that works for Vitola, it doesn't really work for Tom John because, yeah, you lose the magic of those speeches.
1: Yeah, he sounds like... Uh, he sounds like an Amdram actor
0: yeah he um, sounds like an actor whereas he's meant to be
1: the best actor ever mm. so don't sound like that um, but yeah I yeah I, di- I, I didn't really a- care for the voice acting for Tom John um, I'm I possibly dis- being a bit fussy
0: yeah I didn't dislike it but I don't think the way they did it is how it should have been done Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah it didn't detract from it for me but I think it mm. could have been an addition yeah. that it didn't have I also
0: found it weird him being dark-haired, just because I never pitched him as dark-haired. Yeah, <laughs> I always thought of him as a blonde, not like not like a white blonde, but you know what I mean, like yes, a, yes. a dark, a strawberry blonde almost. Yeah, yeah, the kind of prince you always get in movies. Vitola, like I, if there was to ever be a live action of this, like, and I know we've talked about fan casting, but could you imagine Brian Blessed doing a character like that? Yeah, I think that should be the the correct yeah. one. i think
1: prime Blessed might be a bit old now Uh,
0: yeah vitola was weird actually like obviously things get cut for time and you can't put everything from the book in but it felt like he was really reduced he wasn't he was smaller and he wasn't as big and charismatic as i'd imagine and his wife kind of isn't really present they kind of reduced him to a plot point instead of a character i think
1: yeah but the whole bit where he and his wife like sympathetically took on tom john because they had had a kid of their own or the kid had died or something um yeah. and yeah that that bit and then like the bits later on which we'll talk about where they changed the the how the disc was built um yeah. i i don't know yeah they just kind of took away his character almost
0: yeah which i get like things do get cut for time and it was one of the less essential things and could be cut to a certain extent or simplified which it is yeah. um well which also gets pronounced howl at points yeah i liked it uh, short shower of shakespeare and i like the fact that they styled it to look like shakespeare yeah because a lot of the Shakespeareness of this kind of got cut because weirdly considering like shakespeare was a playwright it actually wouldn't have translated to the screen very well and it makes sense that it's cut in favor of like a sensible story
1: yeah it worked so well in text i think because you can see on the page how it changes would line up. whereas if yeah. they just start speaking weirdly it would have been Odd.
0: yeah there's still odd little lines in there and also um near the end where they're doing the play at lanka castle and tom john is playing the evil king so they've got him kind of on a crutch with a gummy leg and it's like a kind of richard third thing that works quite well yeah because that's like a physical reference the best casting in the whole thing and the best casting of any Discworld ever is christopher lee voicing death yeah yeah, just perfect so perfect R. P.
1: And I think if Pratchett's death has ever brought screen again, they should just use a one of those AIs that can make voice recordings make sound, say
0: new things now. It is... Uh, Hogfather isn't Christopher Lee. I don't think it, uh going postal is either. And the guy who does it is very good. All right, well.
1: We'll see. But we'll see when we get there.
0: It's not quite as perfect because Christopher Lee just had the voice of a coffin lid slamming. Christopher Naturally. Lee
1: ha- had a voice. God, he had a voice.
0: Oh, Christopher Lee. Oh, Christopher Lee. And he was like a spy. And he was a spy, and he had and a heavy metal musician. Christmas album. Oh. God, I he like, was cool. My, fa- my favourite story about Christopher Lee is uh, Peter Jackson telling him to react a certain way to being stabbed in Lord of the Rings, and him just looking Peter Jackson in the eye and going, That's not how someone sounds when they get stabbed.
1: <laughs>
0: and Peter Jackson just feeling like, Right, okay, do what you want christopher lee
1: in the hammer horror dracula yeah he doesn't have any lines does he and that's because he refused to say the lines because they were so shit <laughs> he was the fucking best <laughs> he was it's one of mine and jack's very few shared heroes
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah uh dead king Verence, jimmy hibbert good job nice voice
1: yep pretty good well yep. done jimmy hibbert it is a compliment that I don't have much to say about you. Yes. <laughs> you fit in mind in the adaptation very well. Okay, so... Lost in Translation is your subheadings. Uh, so just things that didn't go well from book to screen?
0: Things that I couldn't translate well from book to screen. Okay. Uh, we don't get people's internal monologues. Yeah. Which, uh, the points where I thought it really lost something was the duke just seems straight up crazy because we don't get like in the one of the first the first scene you meet him where the duchess is going on and on and then he's like oh we need to cut down the trees in the book you're getting this whole internal monologue about how much he hates this fucking forest he's staring at and you lose that so he just kind of seems straight up crazy like we don't get to see the crazy develop because we don't get to see everything he's thinking about yeah so you say that couldn't go from book to screen
1: but i feel like considering it's cartoon Things like narration and internal monologue could have been used in a way they weren't.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it got lost in translation, but it wouldn't have had to have been. Maybe that's a better way to say yeah.
1: it.
0: Too much narration gets very... It
1: does, but internal monologues could have been used in this particular type of cartoon. Like, they're corny as fuck in films, like live yeah. action. But I think it could have worked well here. Uh,
0: I think Margaret's character suffers for it. She seems a lot simpler mm. because you don't see her f- like, you get her, you get a line of her saying, I think a bread knife's a girl's best friend. No, a woman's. And But you don't see the whole internal choice of the bread knife over the sacrificial bone-handled what's-it. Yeah, but you could
1: have even, other... I, I feel like you could have shown
0: that. I feel like you could have shown that. Like, the
1: hand hovering over both, or... I, I think Magrat was a little bit left as a 2D silly girl, like, in, I... in voice on how she was shown.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of that is because you don't have her internal monologue in the book. Like, if you took mm. her on face value in the book without seeing everything that goes on in her head, she'd be a silly girl because mm. she's telling a guy she needs to wash her hair, she's dropping off. Yeah. And you don't get a lot more unless you know what's going on in her head.
1: Yeah, and like the display of power she shows with the door and stuff kind of seemed a bit incongruous because of that.
0: Yeah, and threatening the guard. Yes. Because yeah, you, you you miss out on some character growth there. Yeah, Are you also we also means we don't get to see the whole thought processes that lead up to the wishes for Tom John. Mm. So like in the book, you get Magret really thinking about the fact that she's quite lonely, and that's why she says he yeah. should make friends easily. And Nanny August, you it's know, she nice can't remember the yeah. yeah, and Granny has like a whole thing about let him be who he thinks he is, and where she gets to that that we don't really get in the animated version. Yes. Yeah, that would have been, I think, very difficult to
1: show. Yeah. Because there were several internal monologues building up to that, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. So yeah, it, definitely losing the internal monologues lost something in translation. This is a massive bugbear of mine, not just in this, but in adaptations in general, is characters needing to be stupid for some exposition. Mm-hmm where in the book this would be provided by a footnote and the example in this is granny says something about a vermin and then Margaret asks what a vermin is so the joke can be in about it being related to the lemming and it only jokes over small things but Margaret would fucking know what one is she lives in the same area she lives near the same forest like now what i love is how they did this in good
1: omens which was providing footnotes via narrator yeah and i know that's difficult to do well and i understand why they didn't because. It is very easy to do badly, but now I've mm-hmm. seen it and like, well, why doesn't everyone do that? Why doesn't well, everybody if... have this exact fantastic
0: voice actress? I don't. One <laughs> well, the most annoying examples of it I've experienced recently is uh, I was replaying the Dragon Age games, uh-huh. and that these games have like quite a lot of lore. Um, so there is a whole section of the game and it's a very, very big key plot stuff that. involves knowing a lot of the like elven lore and religion Mm -hmm. which means the game needs to provide all that information in a very expositional way but because in these games you create a character and then in your head you quite often create more backstory for the character than even the game provides Mm -hmm. um you deal with things in a certain way so i had a thing where i am playing an elf character who would know all of this stuff but the game forces me to be like oh who is that thing so it can be explained so the game can give me this information and like yeah. there has to have been a better way to have done it yeah i rather feel like than... just
1: dissolving into an explanation would have been fine by some kind of narrate- narrator figure
0: i mean the ca- the character in question who ends up giving you most of this information or the characters are both arrogant dickheads who would just talk over you despite you knowing stuff mm. you don't need to make a character stupid yeah. to provide exposition yeah, and it's very specifically they're making a character stupid so something can be explained to the audience. Yeah, that really bugs me because it's lazy. Yeah, and especially for something like this where it was the sake of getting an extra joke in.
1: Yeah,
0: made it more annoying because it's like you you almost make Magra the butt of the joke by having to make her stupid just so you can make a funny joke about a rodent. Yeah, agreed. Cool. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's a bugbear. Mm-hmm. Um. Some stuff that doesn't make it to screen because it wouldn't work in animation. You can't do the uncountable standing stone.
1: No, not without like, like that. a little cutaway skit almost. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that that got lost, which is a shame. And yeah, and I already talked about the fact that the whole magic of Tom John declaiming mm-hmm. doesn't really work. Which yeah, should we talk things that didn't work before we talk about the stuff that does work so we can yeah, end on a positive. That's a good idea. Yeah.
1: Um, I didn't like what the fuck was was this cryopraise stuff and like crucifix Chrysophase, yeah. Sorry, I don't that know why they did there. that. Like they they cut good bits elsewhere for time reasons and then added this weird sub mafia plot where it
0: like Vitola is in genuine danger.
1: Yeah, Patel is in genuine danger tomorrow, and they're losing all their profits from this now. And he was in danger in the book, but it was a
0: I can kind of see the logic of trying to simplify the narrative into a much sharper peril near the end of the yeah. series, film, whatever. There's already, whatever. The, pe-
1: there's already the, the problem. I don't think they needed to add this extra.
0: No, I think it could have worked to add this extra and take other things away to streamline, mm-hmm. but it didn't. It just became an extra thing that didn't need to be there. Yeah, yeah. But also, if you think about the fact that the target audience possibly hadn't read the book... And would be coming across this on telly
1: yeah and again they just made Vitola look like nothing for no like and Tom Don saying how could you be so stupid I know happens in the book but that's in the context of the the disc was Tom Don's idea and Charles's idea and like this and this whereas this is just Vitola being a stupid old man
0: yeah no I didn't like it I can kind of see what they were trying to do but it didn't work yeah agreed um Uh, anything else Chekhov's dog It's not Chekhov. (laughs) The Duchess has a dog. Uh You see her feeding bits of food and stuff to the dog. There's no reason for it to be there. The Duchess doesn't have a dog in the book. She's not the sort of person who would have a dog in the book. It is a bit of a character shifty change. She. And I thought when the dog was there, I was like, right, okay, so they're going to do something with the dog. She's going to set it on someone or it's going to turn on her at the end. Like, Yeah. Like the whole Chekhov's gun thing. If you're going to have a gun on the stage in the first act, you need to use it in the second act. Yes. Uh, It was just a pointless dog. And and I kept waiting for something to happen with it because it was a change from the book. And it was a clear visual change. And it never did. And it was just like, why bother giving the Duchess a dog? Anyway, let's go on to the positives. I've already talked a bit about the fact that I really, really love animation. Mm hmm and that it has many benefits to doing it like this. I think most of the visuals are spot on. I think the character design is great. uh, We already talked about the gorgeous backgrounds.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I liked the fact that there was like a a variance in animation style from scene to scene. mm. And like, even in the same scene, I I like the different art styles altogether. It seemed correctly chaotic for a disc world. Look.
0: yeah the sinister woodland animals especially in the duchess's last scene yeah. when the forest kind of eats her were amazing did you see spot sinister bambi i did yeah i went back that to was one scary sure looking deer.
1: yeah the i thought they looked pretty sinister like standing outside of granny's house as well like
0: yeah the way the wolf, animals the way the wolf was drawn i thought was really good because wolves are often just drawn like big dogs and it wasn't it was drawn with like wolf proportions it was very long and yeah 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 eyes. yeah yeah um, the fact that there's also like it allows for some horror and gore that you wouldn't get in a live action one, mm-hmm. where anything truly scary or perilous in *Color Magic* and *Light Fantastic* kind of come came out. Yeah. Uh, in a cartoon, you can keep more in. So, like, you see blood on the dagger and blood pooling around a dead body. You have this kind of terrifying thing of the Duchess getting eaten by the forest.
1: Yeah, I think. I think I agree with this decision that they did take out a lot of the body horror with the, the hand thing. Yeah, no, I'm glad that wasn't there. Because that was creepy and uh, in the book and it was really effective in the book, but I don't want to see that on screen.
0: No, and it didn't need to be, you know, they had the reference to him sort of rubbing his hand and stuff, but yeah. I am glad that it wasn't more intense than that. But that's what I mean, you can do, you can do get away with more horror and to a certain extent body horror and gore in... Mm-hmm like a 2D animated thing because it's so stylized and unrealistic yeah um, whereas like if this was live action you, there would not be a pool of blood you wouldn't see blood on a dagger
1: not unless you made it a lot darker than
0: this really calls for yeah Yeah. So it's not really a dark story it just has some dark moments in it
1: yeah Yeah. So I, g-
0: yeah.
1: I, like. I agree I think, and I, think, I just think this is why animation suits the desk world so much rather than just the mood of it which is a light-hearted thing with a with some dark moments, which describes a lot of Discworld
0: books, is just mm. so much better suited to animation. I would really, genuinely love to see like a Studio Ghibli style animation of a Discworld book. I think like it would the, I really like the tales, for, tales of the Earthsea adaptation that Studio Ghibli did, uh, although some people don't like it, and it's not it's not super accurate to the, the actual. I haven't stuff. read it either, yeah. yeah, but it's a really lovely thing to watch, and I think. Some of the Discord stuff. Like if you watch, when you get around to watching Hell's Moving Castle. It's uh, on Netflix, by the way. Uh, i think Yeah, all of Studio Ghibli's come onto Netflix in the last oh, few. Right. Uh, Kiki's Netflix Delivery Netflix. Service as well, because obviously I've started modeling myself on that. <laughs> I need to get a big red bow.
1: Oh, that's what I'll get for your
0: birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Massive red bow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Oh, there's also one little detail I noticed that was really cool, which is Margaret's fingers going point at the end pointy at the end like witch's claws when she's pointing at someone's chest and threatening them
1: yeah i did like that that was um that was a really nice nicely
0: exaggerated stylized answer. yeah without going really stupid and overboard with it yeah so that was cool that worked we already talked about the fact we like the accents accents mm-hmm. were very good i do really like the witch's devonshire accents yeah i think that's a. Uh that was a good choice i just because this is I, oh, like a remote I, rural area
1: i probably wish that almost everyone had deeper voices and i almost always wish that in everything including my own voice i just lo- i just really like deep voices
0: yeah there's, there's a reason we like christopher lee
1: yeah yes if everyone could just be christopher lee please that would be fun yeah
0: that would be lovely thanks um <laughs> nanny's house was so perfect i think his uh-huh. backgrounds go uh, yeah, but it's, yeah.
1: someone put some love into that someone who loved nanny as much as you do
0: they did but especially the fact that she's got the little dancing hula lamp yeah what was that there's a there's a joke in the book about you know she wants to use a lamp that someone's brought her back from foreign parts yeah but it's i think in a book and in a cartoon you can get away with these kind of anachronistic things like Mm. this is obviously meant to be kind of medieval especially if you look at the costumes but if you look at nanny's house it is like A very camp, kitsch, seventies northern woman's bungalow. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) with a dancing hula lamp and the the whole way it's decorated and the sofa. And if that was done as a live action thing, people would point it. And that doesn't work. It's a wrong time period compared to that. But in the cartoon, you get away with it because, of course, that's what Nanny's house looks like.
1: And that's how I'd imagined it, even though, yeah, the book's set in medieval, kind of aesthetic That is how Nanny's house is. It is. It just is. Even if it's never said, it is. Yeah.
0: It's almost identical to my northern grandmother's living room. <laughs> Fucking ornaments everywhere. Except with more colour. She didn't allow too much colour because uh, that was too working class. <laughs> Gotta love ornaments. aspirational
1: class politics in the UK hey?
0: <laughs> Speaking of Geordies, I do slightly dislike that the one Geordie accent in this is the big racist barbarian dude.
1: <laughs> well, this guy's kind of breaking out of a trope, though. So Geordies are always used as kind of very agreeable almost simple like I know but just
0: big racist northerner didn't need
1: that would you have preferred he was from Leeds
0: yes that would have been much better (laughs) Hartlepool (laughs) I mean they hang monkeys
1: that's enough of your very specific regional prejudices
0: (laughs) it's not a regional prejudices they hang monkeys in Hartlepool it's a thing less said about Guernsey the better
1: (laughs) I'm (laughs) sure you're all lovely
0: (laughs) Do you think we have any listeners in Guernsey? Not anymore. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, like, the one thing we were going to do was not insult the listeners. Oh, fuck, yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> Sorry, any Hartlepool listeners, but, like, guys, stop hanging monkeys. Yeah. What the fuck?
1: And then a little bit of random pandering to fans. What's it called? Fan service, which references from the rest of the this world that you spotted.
0: Yeah, there was a little Dibbler cameo. There is a hot dog seller saying, I'll cut my own throat, which was a nice yeah. way to reference the hot dog seller a bit from the book but also yep. nod to this Discworld character that, that then exists yeah and then yeah you also see someone in the drum who has a duck on their head and that is all we shall say about that
1: yeah but yeah just little moments like that are always nice without being like an entire thing full of fan service just having a couple of bits for people who know the Discworld to go uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. I spotted and that you... smug smug smug
0: <laughs> exactly I, I really like a little bit of fan service <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it it, uh... it can go overboard quite easily Yeah, no, it can get, like, cringy, cringy. Mm. There was uh, a moment in the final, like, Avengers Infinity War film that uh, first viewing in the cinema, I just thought, oh, cool. And then I actually thought about it. and was like, oh, no, that was total fan service where, like, all the female characters kind of gather in one thing and they're like, go, we're behind you. And it was like...
1: But if you went, oh, cool, and you saw it in the cinema was it not successful
0: it was a nice little thing but looking back on it like it made no sense for battle plans or anything and it was like so fan servicey that it feels like that performative capitalist feminism that's actually a bit Uh, cringy i'd much rather there was just lots of good diverse female representation across the films but
1: oh speaking of that i'm not going to go into it because we don't need to get angry right now but shout out to the worst thing about that i've ever seen the ms monopoly
0: games look it up yourself if you want to get angry listeners Oh, what the fuck? Yes, that's no. so bad. Especially the fact that the game acknowledges that the original Monopoly game was invented by a woman to show capitalism is bad and Hasbro literally fucking took the idea of her and made it more capitalist.
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't even Hasbro that did it at the time, was it? It was some dude stole the idea and patented it. Yeah, no, yeah. As yeah, a the whole yeah. thing. But let's yeah. not go into it because I just, you know, as we've mentioned that, I should mention something that made us very angry this month.
0: Yeah. <laughs> one thing that made us very angry and i just month. feel like we haven't
1: purple posted it enough on this episode
0: <laughs> yeah no i haven't been that feminist i'll uh yeah
1: I'll the other for... thing that made us angry this month of course was the picture of somebody who'd turned their like desk set up into a beach simulation and had a desk chair on sand
0: yeah no what the fuck not okay no <sighs> well's fantasy film moments that really worked on on in the adaptation mm. Um, his little, like, Mark's fantasy. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, li- yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that was really good.
1: Um, it was very... They managed to make the references heavy-handed without being...
0: Weird. It was a f- Yeah, it was a fun visual call to the... So they actually did the Mark's moment and they did the Laurel and Hardy moment. And, and I think uh, that was
1: the only way to put it in, really. They'd have either had to leave it out or do that.
0: Yeah, and I, and I like that they did it because it's fun to watch and it, 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 they properly do the visual. And then the ones that... Don't have a specific visual like the handbag thing. He does like the tone of voice. Yes. Yeah. 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 A handbag. <laughs> something that worked, which wouldn't have worked if this was live action, was the whole idea of the Tom, John, and the fool being identical, or like yeah. similar looking. If yeah. you'd done it live action, you would have like had to have the same actor play both parts, or at least very, very similar looking actors, or you'd have twins had to get or, brothers, actual or brothers. Yeah. 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 Um, and then that plot point would have been given away by it whereas because it's animated you can draw them so when they are put side to side and you're told to look for it yes they're identical
1: i think that's why they gave tom john makeup for most of it isn't it like
0: yeah but also like you can have characters that do have really similar faces in an animated thing because that's just the animation style Yeah. yeah so it's like oh yeah fine fine and then you put them together It's like oh no that was on purpose it's not just the animation style and it works but yeah it wouldn't work live action because it would reveal the plot point too early yeah
1: no i agree i enjoyed that that was well done they changed it just enough that i kind of hadn't noticed what they'd done till the reveal so yeah even though i knew the story
0: (laughs) well yeah i was looking at it because i was wondering how they would do that in the story because it they can't leave it as ambiguous as the book leaves it no 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 and I think it's le- I think it's left nicely.
1: Yeah. Um the bit that you said uh while we were texting about it was you weren't sure how you felt about like the forest eating the Duchess, but it was well done. Like how do you mean you don't know how you feel about
0: that? Well, because in the book her ending's a lot more her ending is a lot more ambiguous. Do you think so? Yeah, I think the book implies she almost could have survived.
1: Oh, see to me it was very much no. Like you don't get swallowed up by that many animals and not Die. I,
0: I think the book left more ambiguity than the film did. Okay. Uh, Not massively. And yes, she obviously did die, and you never see her turn up again. or spoilers. (laughs) Um, and obviously the forest did eat her up, but it was just so blatant here, and I don't think it needed to be.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, it could have just been a fade.
0: Yeah, I I would have seen the animals looking at her sternly in the forest starting to move and cut it there rather than seeing her actually. As much as it was really well done and it was a good horror moment, Mm. um, because you've just seen that she can't be destroyed by Granny's helology. She can't, you know, it needed a cauldron to the back of the head. Mm -hmm. Uh, She can't be locked up. So to go, right, but she's going to get eaten by a forest, I think is less interesting than going. Actually, if anyone could face down a bunch of, of sinister forest and a bunch of wooden creatures, it yeah. probably is this villainous woman. Yeah.
1: Okay, no, I see what you mean. Even though I didn't think it was that ambiguous in the book, it also seemed a bit odd to me to almost end on a horror point.
0: Yeah, that too. Even like, though,
1: obviously, they did have a scene afterwards. But...
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. But I, I like a shiny, happy ending. yeah. <laughs> because I am, I am that sort of person.
1: I am at heart a child.
0: Yep. I want everything to end nicely, happily, unambiguously, and in the case of a long-running sitcom with a montage that shows everyone happy in five years. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, so overall thoughts. It's nice to remember the 25th of May.
1: Yep. Happy Glorious 25th, all.
0: Happy Glorious 25th. Happy Plague. I take it there are no obscure references, because uh, it was that thing. Yeah, no, I didn't even think to look out for one. Oh, actually, a tiny obscure reference thing I did, or I was hoping it was an obscure reference, it wasn't, which is that Nanny refers to the fool's mother as a beldam, mm-hmm. which I don't think was said in the book. And I wanted to look up the actual origin of beldam and whether it came from the poem, the beldam, sounds sure. mossy or not, and it doesn't. It uh, was a way to refer to an old woman or a particularly beautiful woman before that poem was written.
1: Okay, okay, cool, cool.
0: Uh, it's got its origins in Old English. still so a nice was, word, though. Uh, yeah, I want to c- bring that back. Start mm. calling people a bell down a bit more. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but I think most people now associate it with Coraline. Yeah. Yeah. Probably so. Um, All
1: right. Well, we've been here for over three hours, Joanna, so you should probably play us out so I can go to Tesco and then drop you a copy of Pyramids through your
0: letterbox. Um, thank you for listening to The Truth Show Make You Fret. We are going to take... A uh, week off and we will be back on the 8th of June with the first part of our discussion of Pyramids the 7th discworld novel in the meantime you can follow us on Instagram at the true show you fret on Twitter at miki fret pod facebook at the true show you fret you can email us your thoughts queries castles and snacks the true Shall miki fret pod at gmail.com please uh rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts because it helps other people find us and give us five stars because that makes us feel happy that makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside and until next time dear listener
1: don't let us detain you
0: my raven's tangled up in my headphones
1: oh bless you